0: We've got Marika Syed joining us today. So she's from Snackzilla. Uh, we have spoken with Marika before um, back in 2020. So it's, um, it's been a while since we've spoken to you Marika isn't it? So um, so I thought we thought it was a good idea to, to do a little update because clearly quite a few things have, have happened um, to the world and to, to Snackzilla as well in the meantime. So just as a I'll give you a little intro for those who perhaps haven't um, met Marika before. Um, so Snackzilla um, is her company, and um, Snackzilla's delicious, chewy Oaty cookies. Um, they're based on a family recipe. Um, and three years ago, uh, while COO of the busy events um, startup, Marika wanted a, a career change. Um, uh, her passion for for baking. Um, she has two children. Uh, has meant that she's she's uh, looked into healthy snacking for children. There was frustration for it from her as not being able to find an after-school snack that um, that actually sort of met the needs of being delicious, but, but also healthy as well. Um, so we, yes, we last spoke to her in 2020, um, but since then actually Snackzilla has gone from strength to strength, um, gaining some investment, uh, listings, awards, media coverage, um, and uh, having to grow the business recruit staff So, really good uh, um, opportunity, I think, now to to chat with her.
1: Welcome, Marika. Thanks, Jo. Thanks for that lovely intro. That's all right. You're all welcome. (laughs) And, yeah, it feels amazing. Like, the last two years have been crazy, haven't they? But you guys, I mean, I've worked with you guys from the very beginning. You and Mel, originally back at Mel's house before I even started. It was Yeah, I've got this recipe from my great-grandmother, and I really want to do something about it. (laughs) how easy do you think it would be to make it healthier and then yeah it started from there didn't it so you were involved from the very very beginning
0: yes yeah we we were yeah it was um it was a a fun fun project yeah definitely over the last 18 months um yeah there's been a lot of change and evolution in Snackzilla do you want
1: to um I don't know whether you want to sort of try and summarize that in any way I'll try my best I think when I started, I very much had this kind of idea that I could do everything and, and be everything in terms of a product that was tasty, uh, you know, reasonably priced, um, healthier than the kind of normal biscuits that kids are kind of craving, and also be sustainable. And I and people said to me, Marika, you can't do everything, you know, you would really need to refine your USP. But I, I've or i could prove them wrong and really get a product that could tick all the boxes and i think over the last 18 months the biggest change has been really refining our strategy and our focus for the product and for the company and for the brand and the biggest driver of that was during covid i joined um, a program called the good food fund which is with guys in st thomas's and with mission ventures and it was looking at what the future or, you know, healthier eating for kids looks like in terms of the potential for um, the opportunity for solving the childhood obesity problem or one of the options could be in, in challenger brands coming up with healthier options for kind of junk food product that kids love. And working with them was the kind of the, the tipping point for me of saying, right, there is a major opportunity here, a major gap in the market and a real opportunity to kind of have a brand with social impact. And therefore we really need to refine our USP. And therefore, sadly, the compostable wrappers went because you know they were too expensive. Um, and we really reformulated the product again to kind of hit all those kind of health criteria that we wanted, which was to be non-HFSS, under hundred calories. We wanted to get the good choice badge from uh, the NHS so ticking all those boxes and really refining that so yeah the last 18 months has really been about nailing down that strategy and really focusing. So do you think when, um,
0: when you were going through this and obviously it's clearly a, a, a lot of areas that you were addressing at, all at once were there any regrets did you feel like you, ha- you should have done that sooner or was that
1: do you feel like that was part of the just the natural evolution of Snackzilla? Um, I think there was there is a slight regret that I didn't make that decision sooner I spent about four months (laughs) ruminating on the compostable wrapper situation because we were using originally compostable wrappers and and I loved them I loved I loved how the kids loved them and the you know kids nowadays are really growing up to be little eco warriors you know they they don't want plastic they're taught so much at school about you know the evils of plastic and so my kids were really upset and disappointed with me. And I just, yeah, that, that took a lot of time and really toing and froing about the compostable wrapper situation and, and moving to plastic. And, yeah, I spent way too long thinking about that. And I should have just been kind of bolder and braver and just gone, no, this is what we need to do. But at the time, it, it felt like such a shift. But looking back, you know. Is, is is wonderful. Hindsight is wonderful, but yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So, is that, you know, no regrets at the moment then
1: from sure, sure having to take those few steps back. Um, and it's okay. still something I would like to do in the future. So, the the possibility is still there. We haven't shut down that as an option. It's just we need need to wait for that price to come down in line with the price of plastic and for the barrier properties of the compostable to come up to be yeah. as good as plastic, and then we'll, you know, we'll make that decision easily to move, to move compostable. yeah. yeah.
0: Sure. So has your, um, has your team changed as well? So was it still, so, you know, prior to COVID, was it still just you running the show? Um, uh, you know, how has, how has your staffing changed? What did you feel like you had to let go of? Um, and was that difficult? You know, you're, you're very much in control of everything when it is just you running, you know, running your company. So what, what did you have to relent with first or what did you feel like was the first thing that had to be handed over to someone else
1: no it's always just at the moment it's still just me as a full-time employee and it was kind of pre-covid I was having some consultancy support with Amazon etc and that's continued and now we've just hired a marketing manager part-time and I've got some sales support consultancy as well so we're slowly building up the team but still you know not a full-time team Um, it's still mostly It's all, it's me. And then I'm slowly, as you know, we've raised investment, starting to kind of bring people in and test. And it's also really hard to know like who to hire, you know, what roles you should hire first. And, you know, a lot of thinking about that. Should I focus on marketing or should it be sales or operations? I mean, post-COVID with the opportunity of people working from home or perhaps more so working
0: for themselves, um, sort of freelance, do you feel like maybe you have more, options of, of staff to choose from if you're wanting someone who's just sort of an ad hoc basis or, or part-time basis do you feel like the choice is there
1: yeah definitely and in the drink industry there seems to be a lot of people who are who've got those skills they might have come from working in a big corporate fmcg brand and they want to start doing consultancy work and working with smaller brands and getting into that kind of startup world so yeah there's amazing talent out there who's willing to do you know half a day or a day a week um, so yeah there, there is lots of talent out there
0: you feel like that was a good sort of dipping your toe into employing someone else and
1: giving them a role to do for under the Snackzilla brand exactly yeah I think good. it's about I, I mean, and that's always been the way I've worked in, in previous uh, businesses as well I try and try and find the right people it's not always about you know it's really hard looking at someone's CV to know if they're going to be the right fit for your company and actually employing them on a consultancy basis to start with and seeing if you kind of got that well good working relationship is always has always kind of served me well in the past right
0: so can we talk Warburton's because that's obviously a massive brand um and it's it's lovely weighty brand to to um sort of wave around and say that you've spoken to and have had investment with um can you give us some background on how that happened
1: yes so um When was it? A couple of years ago, Warburton's announced that they were going to set up a new fund called Batch Ventures and they wanted to kind of support new upcoming young British talent in the kind of bakery world and support, you know, start investing and supporting smaller brands. Obviously, Warburton's is the biggest UK bakery brand. It's the fifth British um, largest manufacturer of any products and yeah they really wanted to kind of start supporting the kind of the next generation of brands coming through and they had invested in two brands prior to me um, Insane Grain which is like a baked um, uh, savoury snack and then um, Artful Baker which is a biscotti brand and I knew they were coming up to the next round where they wanted another product for their range. And when the applications opened, I just went for it. I knew I needed a big partner like that in terms of investment. I'd spoken to some VCs and angel investors, and I just wasn't sure if that was the right route for me. I knew from friends who'd taken money from VCs that it can be very pressurized um, and, and can be a lot of hard work. And I just knew that I needed someone who really understood bakery um, with bakery it's a lot about it's all about volume low margins but very high volume and i just needed and i also felt like i needed that support and expertise you know i don't come from an fmcg background or a bakery background um, and i needed probably quite a lot of guidance and support in order to grow the brand and so when warburton's came up as an opportunity Uh, For them, it's not just money. It's also quite a lot of support. Um, I just thought, I need to go for this because what a a great brand to be working with. And so, yeah, I went through the application process, which took um, probably five, six months of, you know, Dragon's Den style pitching to them. And yeah, delighted that we got chosen as their third investment. So they, I sold um, uh, a minority stake in the business to them and so I got a chunk of money and but I also got kind of the support from them and Mission Ventures so they work together in terms of supporting the brands Um, so yeah that's kind of daily weekly monthly support you know they Warburton's now sit on our board so yeah it's been brilliant we only got the money in January so it's only a new partnership we started working with them in January so it still feels quite new but yes, yeah, so far it's been absolutely brilliant that's great it's I mean congratulations on that because it's it's
0: it's such a good success for 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 you and personally but and for and for Snackzilla as well That if you hadn't had that do you think Snackzilla would still you know would it be just so much more difficult to to move things forward with and do new development and bring out the next product with Snackzilla
1: yeah. I mean honestly with the cost price increases coming through now I think it would have come to a point now where it would have been a very hard decision about whether to continue, whether the brand, you know, would be financially viable or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But having their support now means that we can figure out a way through. The reason it was so vital for us was because of our strategy as the brand, which was about a, you know, helping to solve childhood obesity. And therefore, we can't be a premium brand that is selling kind of on market stalls or in Whole Foods, you know, or even just in a Cardo. Actually, if we really want to have social impact, we need to be available and selling to the mass market. We need to be in Asda, in Tesco, where the majority of UK parents are shopping. And we know that childhood obesity, you know, adversely affects those on lower incomes. So we need to be available to be purchased in the shops that they're shopping in. And therefore we need to drive our price down and we need to get our volume up in order to be at a price point where those families can afford to make a choice, you know, that we are the similar price to Oreos and therefore parents have an actual choice to make, you know, should we, you know, they're both cost a quid, which do we choose? rather than ours costing £2.50 you know it's a really that's an impossible choice for for many families to make they would always be swayed on price over health we know the research shows that that's why we've got such a a massive you know obesity problem in the country at the moment therefore because of that strategy we needed someone like Warburton's to be able to come in and really help us grow the brand to be able to get to that price point Whereas I think if I, if the strategy was different or we were going after a different target consumer, then it would be very different and you don't therefore need to, to raise so much money or to be working with such kind of big uh, kind of trade partners like that.
0: Was well, so that strategy always there though? Because I know you always, you always had that passion, that focus on, on sort of healthy options. But do you feel like that very, very strict strategy that you now have, with that real focus, do you think that's come about from your learning from, you know, from
1: starting? that was from working with Guy's and St Thomas's and all the research and data that we had access to. It just kind of really opened my eyes to, yeah, the the potential for challenger brands to really come in and, and help solve these problems. Um, so yeah the focus the strategy has been much more focused originally it was very much I was thinking okay it'd be lovely to have our products available in Waitrose and Whole Foods and Selfridges and there is a market there for kind of um, wealthier families who want to pay a premium price for a premium product but, but the research and the data and working kind of with the partners that we did really showed that there was yeah huge opportunity to kind of make a difference and build kind of household name brand um so yeah the ambition definitely has changed that's
0: great no that's really good for, i mean and if, i feel that's it's definitely a really good foundation you know even bolstering those foundations of of snackzilla and where you're going to take it do you feel like you're more excited now that you have that extra kind of drive and passion from those conversations with warburton's and guys and thomas um yeah. that you're you, you you need to do this
1: yes and it makes decision making also easier once you're much more focused you know every decision we make um in you know for everything marketing retail channels you know you can align it back to your your mission now and say is that the right thing for us to do as a brand um so yeah it makes the kind of day to day easier as well but yeah it's much more exciting because and but scarier as well <laughs> because because the the, you know the size that we need to grow to to actually have that impact is is huge but yeah terrifying
0: but exciting but real clarity for your brand I presume now that you know you you might have had some clarity early on in the very early days but it's it's quite nice that that people can hear that you don't need to know everything about your strategy and your focus right from the beginning it can evolve and
1: change it's completely grown organically and and covid also had you know would things have been different if COVID hadn't happened? Actually, that has helped refine that strategy, having that time to really sit and think, um, work with those partners at Guy's and St. Thomas. And, and COVID has had a big impact as well on, on you know healthy eating and childhood obesity. So all those things together have kind of really helped shape kind of the future of the brand and, and where we think we're going now. Not saying it might not change again though. <laughs>
0: No, yeah, and that's it, and that's you know, like you say, the 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 whole process is very organic. Obviously, Frog Hop can be in, involved in the very creative organic process right at the beginning, which is you know creating a a great recipe. But everything beyond that is still very very organic. Mm-hmm. There's no sort of linear process to follow. No, no. no. So can we chat about Sainsbury's? Because um, you you're involved in Sainsbury's Future Brands and mm-hmm. um, can you give me some background on, um, on that? How you got into it? How was the process? How did you find it? And um, yeah, what was your experience? Yep.
1: Yeah, so that was an application process again on their website. They opened up uh, an application and I went for it. Again, I got it um, and that was a 13 week trial in 70 different stores around the country. And the product is then placed on a kind of trial bay with, I think there was 10 other brands during our cohort. Uh, And you're you're on sale for those 13 weeks and you get so much support from Sainsbury's during that time in terms of the logistics and deliveries, um, in terms of the data, you get daily data, sales data, um, and then loads of reports at the end so yeah, it was a great learning experience from working with a kind of massive supermarket. And it was just, yeah, it was really, really exciting. It was a lot of hard work because, especially for us, we were the first ever kids brand to go on the trial bay. We were also the only multi-pack. So we were going in a multi-pack of four cookies and a carton, whereas all the other products were kind of single serve units. And so we were one of the most expensive products on the bay. The bays are also quite hidden in stores. You know, they're not on the gondola end of the first aisle. They can be some, you know, usually they buy pet food or the freezer section. And therefore, you're not getting a lot of parents who are walking down the aisles thinking, oh, I'm going to have a browse and see what, you know, I want to pick up today. Most parents are very focused on their mission. They've got 20 minutes to do a shop they might have, you know, a crying toddler with them, they know what aisle they need to go and grab their stuff from and they're in and out as quickly as possible. They're not kind of looking for a browsing experience. So for us and our target consumer, it was really interesting because we were basically having to drive all the traffic, all the parents to, to Sainsbury's. So it was that was quite a lot of work in terms of, you know, the marketing, the press, uh, working with kind of different Uh, local mums groups and parent groups in those store locations so it was an intense period of time but it really made me realize that you know being in the supermarkets just makes such a difference to your brand in terms of opening up to new customers Um, so yeah it was a good learning experience and then we will see later on this year whether it results in in a category placement or not so when do you hear, when. so how
0: does that process work? So you had your 13 weeks, um, and then, uh, so what, what, what stage
1: are you in next? What, what then the next? data all goes to the buyer, and you have to wait for the next kind of buying window to open for that category. Um, so for, that, for us, that was this summer. So we'll go back and see if there's an opportunity for us. But we've got the data now that we can bring to that meeting and say, you know, this is how it, it worked in, in all those 70 Sainsbury's stores. And this is why you need to give us an opportunity. So it doesn't result in an automatic listing. OK. You know, you still need to then put that work in. But it does give you that experience of knowing, is that the right retail channel for you? Um, is that the right supermarket for you? And it gives you that data. So it kind of puts you kind of a step ahead on the journey. So, would you push for? So, you've had the Sainsbury's
0: experience. Are you are you actively pushing for other sort of the Big Four or um, any other retailers?
1: Yes, I think that our issue still is our price and getting our price down to be comparable with other kids snacks. So, we currently at two pound forty nine. We need to get to £1.99 is our target aim, which has been you know severely impacted sadly by all the cost price increases, the inflation happening right now. So it's, it's an interesting period of where we know as the brand we need to bring our price down. But sadly, we've got all these. And, you know, and in December, that was all fine. We knew we could get that price down. But sadly, you know, a lot of our ingredients have come out of the Ukraine or are impacted by the Ukraine war. So, yeah, interesting times.
0: It, it is, I know. It is really interesting. So on, on that, so HFSS is sort of um, very much... Um, sort of round the corner, um, <laughs> officially round the corner. And um, so how has that changed your strategy in terms of trying to get into stores? Are you feeling like there's um more of a, a, a scrabble to try and get some HFSS a compliant product um on shelves? Are you are you sort of happily piggybacking on that one or are
1: you still have feeling like you're really having to work at it? Well from the very beginning I knew that we needed to be HFSS compliant. And this was three, four years ago before it even got announced. I think working with you and Mel made me realize that there was a massive opportunity and that this, that was the way uh, the world was going in. So yeah, I'm delighted that from the very beginning, we knew we wanted to tick that nutritional model, profile model boxes. So that was great. We had a product that was compliant and there has been interest from a lot of retailers because of that however because of the government's you know indecisiveness about when it was happening if it's happening i think a lot of retailers are still kind of sitting back and waiting to see what happens over the coming weeks before they make you know firm decisions um yeah but it's interesting and some supermarkets i'm talking to are looking for healthier products to replace the unhealthier Um, and some some aren't some aren't going to kind of change their strategy too much you know, in terms of what goes on gondola ends they're talking about you know batteries and toilet roll and tea bags um, but some are being much more braver and I think that was the whole point of what the pub, you know um, uh, the government is trying to do is that by reducing the amount of unhealthier products on price volume promotions that they could be replaced by healthier options to give those consumers a choice. So really hoping that it goes through, but it's all up in flux at the moment.
0: This it's week quite a be. drastic change for the industry. And um, I hadn't really realised myself, I think, until I went to the Farm Shop and Deli show at the NEC uh, the other week and, and was watching a, a, a talk. And they were talking about how actually it might um, very much change um, the look of a, a regular supermarket. You know, those gondola ends um, would probably look very different because we're so used to seeing... Coca Colas, the, all the Cadbury's chocolate, etc. Yeah. The That's aisle. So for yeah. those who are very active, it looks like they are making really interesting decisions of and mm. having to stock um, appropriate products still in the snacking sector, perhaps, but with HFSs compliant products. But it's a shame that others are really not changing their strategy um, greatly. They're sort of you know perhaps not um, putting the work in.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just such a shame because there's so much opportunity for stores to really take some quite brave decisions I think you know imagine walking down the gondola end middle aisle of the supermarket and there being like you know gorgeous displays of ripe ripe peaches and vegetables and the kids going oh mummy I really want that I want that because you know they can smell it they can see it Um, but you know my local Sainsbury's have taken a lot of the you know unhealthier products off the gondola ends but they've replaced it you know with cases of wine (laughs) i've noticed the other day and there's like four gondola ends all with wine i was like okay i better buy some wine you know Mm -hmm. it does it really does impact your buying choices because you're making so many quick decisions when you're shopping in the supermarket um, without even consciously realizing it Um, so yeah it's it would be a huge impact on brands manufacturers retailers and consumers like everyone's going to be impacted but um I think everyone's spent quite a lot of money on this so far in terms of reformulation supermarkets thinking of their strategies and it would be a shame if it if it gets delayed further
0: so you're you're all for it happening then yes
1: yes with working with guys in St Thomas's and understanding the research behind it the Obesity Health Alliance, which is made up of 40 organisations, including British Heart Foundation, Cancer Research, um, all the medical associations. They've put a lot of research. If you look at their website, they've got a lot of white papers on this. And they, are, they have been the ones who have really pushing this through in terms of this legislation will have such a big impact on childhood obesity rates. And we're at such a crisis point. And I know it's not perfect. I know the nutritional profile model isn't perfect. It's outdated. There's lots of kind of technical stuff behind the scenes that isn't right. But I feel like the government has to do something. You know, one in three kids are now leaving school at 11 and they're overweight or obese. It costs the NHS like 5 billion a year. Like we need to try and do something about it. And so far, all the different things the government's tried haven't worked. And, you know, the Obesity Health Alliance really have put the research in, which shows that this will have an impact. So it would I just feel like it's worth giving it a try. You know, even six months, see what the impact is, see, see how it, it changes people's buying decisions. Um, so, yeah, I am. I am for it.
0: What's been your, so uh, from your experience with the, um, the listing in Sainsbury's um, and now with Warburton's and, and just general sales, what's, have, what kind of feedback are you getting from your consumers or, or sort of, you know, how are people reacting to your type of product? Is there surprise that it's, oh, it's healthy? Um, you know, how, how have you found that?
1: Um, yeah, there is surprise that we can still make a biscuit <laughs> that's got 50% less sugar in it. And I think the most important feedback is from kids. So kids are enjoying it. Um, it isn't as sweet. So for a lot of adults, they're like, okay, it's not, it's not the kind of decadent uh, cookie experience that they're used to, which is, you know, those soft baked in-store bakery cookies that are absolutely delicious. And so it is about retraining, you know, kids' taste buds is what all the, the doctors say is what we need to do is that they're so used to eating so many sweet products that they then eat an apple and it tastes bitter to them. And we need to just reduce the amount of sugar they're having, not replace it with artificial sweeteners, but just get them on diets that are eating less sugar. And I feel like what I'm trying to do is have something in the middle, because as parents, you know, it's really hard when your kids are wanting kind of junk food products, it's really hard with the amount of pester power and the amount of advertising or they see their friends at school having those products. And it's really hard to say no Here, have a cucumber, you know, Um, and I just wanted something that was in the middle. That was kind of a step between, uh, you know, not having something that was packed full of sugar and, and artificial sweeteners and a little bit healthier for you, but still giving them the kind of snacks and treats that they really want.
0: No, that's really good. Um, we're, we'll, we'll round up in a bit. I've got I've just got sort of one more question. Um, if anyone's got any questions, then pop it in the chat and I, I can um, ask Marika on your behalf if you've got anything that you want to um, uh, ask her about. But um, so your goals, goals for the next one to two years. How, how's that looking? What, what's your strategy over the <laughs> well, next? They're constantly little-
1: changing because my goal at the beginning of the year was obviously get our price down um, and that might have to be pushed back for another year because of all the ingredient cost price increases. Um, And then our our second goal is obviously to get into those big retailers, um, which, yeah, sadly is chicken and egg about your your cost price. Um, But yeah, the goal is that if we really wanna have impact, we we need to be in one of those big four. So that's what we're working to.
0: No, that's great. It's really good. I haven't, anyone um, want to pop in any questions that they have into the chat, you're welcome to. I've come to the end of my questions and um, uh, oh, okay so Susan Susan Abbott's asking where does Snackzilla stand on the everything in moderation argument?
1: Um, yeah absolutely agree with it I think it's just that kids are now so bombarded by external factors and advertising and especially with those volume promotions and the buy one get one freeze. It's just really hard as parents to where uh, you know to, to make those choices sometimes and therefore having something, yeah, I, I believe in everything in moderation. Um but I wanted my kids to have something after school that was really filling. Um keep them going till dinner, not full of palm oil and artificial sweeteners and yeah kind of a something in in the middle. So yeah, no, I agree with you, Susan. Everything <laughs> should be in moderation. Um, but sadly, there's just so many unhealthy foods that are kind of targeted and named at kids at the moment. And I just think we should try and swap some of them out with something healthier.
0: No, I agree. Um, near our Sony, he's, uh, they're asking about contract manufacturer um and sort of was there did you have a strategy was there a strategy how did you go about it are you still with your contract manufacturer that you had from the beginning if not why not um yeah what was how was how was that
1: yeah so contract manufacturing I knew that I couldn't produce these myself (laughs) at my in my home oven and um and again it was all about volume and driving that price down so we needed to to bake them at scale so I started by looking at all the Uh, Sousa and BRC listed bakeries so when you go onto their websites you can filter by type so I looked at all the bakeries and I contacted every single one of them uh, by phone or by email and I think I ended up with a a short list of about 10 that I went to visit and part of it is that you're pitching your story and your vision to them and yeah the one that was I also wanted it to be a nut-free site used to you know creating kids products um, so yeah we're still with the bakery that we started with they're based up in Yorkshire third generation family run bakery so it took about 18 months of just going you know visiting them all trying to persuade and a lot of it is about persuading them to take you on because you're you know the volumes are still so small um, to what they used to manufacturing so it's whether they've got space on their production line to kind of take a chance on you um, so yeah, f- I found one that was willing to take a chance. And it's nice you're still with them that you've managed to
0: scale with them as well. So, so clearly you did something right from the beginning. You are the perfect example of perseverance pays off for us. <laughs> you know, we sort of we, you obviously work with a lot of startups and we, and we know that not everyone's journey is easy um, and we know it's, it is hard work, but you, you are a very good example of how to make it successful. Um, not that it's not been a lot of hard work on your part, of
1: course. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is just yeah, like you say, I'm quite tenacious. I don't, I'm not willing to give up easily. I will see something through to the bitter end. So, yeah, I knew, I knew there must be a bakery out there somewhere that was willing to make these cookies for me. So, um, I've got one from uh, Steve Monk.
0: He says, "Hi, Marika. Uh, how do you build consumer trial and sales by uh, online channels such as Amazon? Um, have you found this to be meaningful?" Um, uh yeah well, how was have you gone through amazon have you been selling through amazon
1: yeah we sell our big wholesale boxes on amazon um that's a good question i think with most brands it's all about sampling so for the first year when we were still very much kind of in a beta version and still changing the recipe rapidly we were giving a lot of cookies away all the ones we were making <clears throat> and testing we were giving them away to try and build a big kind of of consumer, you know, ambassadors, people who believed in your brand and what we were doing. And then they went on to become loyal customers. And I would say they're the customers that are buying every month on subscription through Amazon. Um, So yeah, at the beginning, I think it's worth um, building into your model, a lot of sampling and giving away a lot of product to people in any shape and way and form you can, can think of. So for us, that was via schools, for kids clubs um yeah giving them away was that was that a bit heartbreaking for you or did you
0: feel like that was obviously you're you know you're having to invest in something that you're then giving away for free um do you just feel do you feel like that was a necessary part of the process
1: yeah and i think even the big brands every you know even now we have a that is the majority of our marketing budget is going to sampling it's the best way to get especially for kids and parents it's very hard to get them to persuade them to buy a new product because they usually buy the products that they know and love that the parents may have grown up eating um, and it's very hard to persuade them to try something new so you have to let them taste the product to convince them
0: yes your unique consumer is not yeah. buying it
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly and yeah that's what, what's also different difficult for us because we've got a gatekeeper which is the parents who are making the purchasing decisions but it's a product targeted and aimed at kids. So in terms of our branding and our taste and our nutritionals, it's all aimed at kids, but they're not the ones who are making that purchasing decision. So it's quite interesting.
0: No, that's really good. Thank you very much. Um, much, It's been a lovely chat. I've really enjoyed it. Nice to see you. (laughs) Yeah, we'll say goodbye to everyone. Have a good weekend, everyone. Yes, take care.
1: Take care. Bye. Bye. If you've got a question about your product development, you can always contact us via the website www.froghop.co.uk. You can pick a free of charge introductory call at www.froghop.co.uk forward slash meet. You'll find a wealth of free resources for starting, developing and scaling your food or drink product and business at www.froghop.co.uk forward slash resources.